just want to say before we kind of jump into tonight's subject matter um, that it is very confronting and, sub and sensitive. So I just want to put that out there in case you want, um, just for kids, um, it is. So let me just pray for us before we kind of jump in. Lord, it's been said so many times tonight um, for your spirit to flood this place, and we need it now. So God, fill this place. And I pray, God, that tonight as we delve into some really sensitive stuff, that every person here, that they would know, that they would know, that they would know deep to their depth that you are close to the brokenhearted. That they are so loved by you. That you see them and that you love them. And so, God, I pray tonight that you would, as always, God, have your way, have your way, have your way. And everybody said, amen, amen. So, unless you've been living under a rock. Now, my husband actually knows someone who lives in the South Island, deep in the Fjordland bush, so does Craig, who has carved out for himself a home under a rock. So it kind of gives this phrase a whole new meaning. So unless you live under a rock, and some of you just might, it has been hard to miss all the sex scandals that have made headline news of late. There have been more conversations about sexual misconduct, harassment, abuse, and assault than any other time than I can remember. Now, six months ago, um, former Hollywood film um, director Harvey Weinstein was accused of gross sexual misconduct towards women in the film industry. And this opened up the floodgates as woman after woman came forward with allegations against him. And this led to the explosion of the, let me turn this on, of the Me Too movement, when actress Alyssa Milano asked women to tweet or to post on social media if they had been sexually harassed or assaulted. And within 24 hours of the Me Too hashtag going into existence, there were up to 4.7 million people who had utilized it in 24 hours. Women speaking up, and some for the very first time, saying, yes, I can identify. This is part of my story. Hashtag Me Too. Now, even though the headlines like these are nothing new, something has shifted. And since the news broke about Harvey Weinstein, over 120 different prominent public figures from all industries, like film, TV, music, sports, politics, have had accusations pointed at them regarding sexual misconduct. And what to me is so heartbreaking, but so needed, is the hashtag that was born out of the Me Too movement, and it's this. Hashtag church too. This hashtag also went viral, so much so that it even made Time magazine, amongst others. And story after story of women who have been victims of misogynistic behavior, who have been harassed, abused, and shamed by those in power, and predominantly men in prominent positions within the church. You know, misogyny or misogynistic behavior is the, and the definition is the dislike of, contempt for, or ingrained prejudice against women. In other words, treating women badly because they are women. 
And a simplified definition of abuse, sexual abuse, is any visual from exposure to pictures, even pictures sent to you on your phone, verbal things that have been said to you, text to you, or written to you, or physical sexual activity without your consent. Now, the statistics of sexual abuse in all its forms are staggering. You see, every 98 seconds, someone in the U.S. is assaulted, and that someone could be male or female. And in the last 20 years, over 18 million women have been sexually assaulted, and it happens to one in every four women and one in every six men. And it's not just a U.S. problem, and we know this. New Zealand has one of the highest rates of abuse in the world. I mean, stare at that chart for a minute. It's sobering, isn't it? Whereas one in every four women in the States is sexually abused, in New Zealand, it's one in every three. As abhorrent as these stats are, it shouldn't be no surprise to us. The Bible says that as history moves on and as we get closer to the end times, things will get worse and not better. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, that he wrote 2,000 years ago, he says this. And Paul, this is only a few of the sins that Paul lists, but he says this. He says, understand this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, arrogant, and abusive lacking self-control, brutal, and addicted to lust. But doesn't that sound just like today? We live in a highly sexualized and self-absorbed culture, and the prolificness of pornography and the objectif objectifying of women, seeing them as objects to be used for your own pleasure, we are now seeing the fallout of that in our culture. And Colin will be addressing that more next week. You know, when sexual abuse, sexual harassment, abuse of power happens within the church towards its members, women and girls and men and boys, there is a sense, and I don't know about you, church, but that we should know better than this. That even though we live in a culture that is morally and sexually confused, and it's not an excuse, but it's reality, we as Christ followers have a beautiful story of what sexuality and gender look like when two individuals, male and female, made in the image of God himself, come together as one flesh is told in Genesis 2. It's a beautiful story of co-laboring, co-ruling, flourishing together as they walked with God in the garden. And yes, everything went pear-shaped for them when they disobeyed God. Everything broke. And not only did Adam and Eve break in relationship with God and with each other, but our world broke. And now how we see one another is warped and broken from God's original design and plan. And the idea that someone in the church who is in a position of power, who knows what that beautiful story is in Genesis 2, could twist and distort that narrative to suit their own agenda, it's an absolute tragedy. And it just goes to show you how deep the stain of sin goes. Now, Jesus had severe words for people who perpetrated abuse. He says in Luke 17 that it's better for a person to be thrown into the sea with the millstone tied around his neck than to harm a little child. And this hashtag church too 
has sparked a lot of conversation amongst us as a Sunday night team. Heaps of conversation. Especially in light of the recent sexual allegations and the stepping down of a world-renowned pastor, global leader of a megachurch in the U.S. And we seriously wondered, do we address the narrative that, of what is happening right now in our culture? Can we or should we even talk about it? And I was even thinking that tonight, can't we just talk about something happy? Let's just play more Disney games. Um, Seriously, I was like, don't make me do this. Um, The church pulpit is not the forum for many topics. I mean, some topics are better discussed one-on-one or in a smaller group setting. I think we understand that. And this subject matter of abuse is an incredibly complex issue. It's so multi-layered. Um, There's no quick, easy fixes. And a 20-minute talk from me tonight and one next week from Colin is barely, barely going to scratch the surface. But this is a start. Because to not address this particular issue, as uncomfortable and confronting and icky as it is, I believe perpetuates a shame and silence culture. You know, as I scrolled through the hashtag church two posts with tears in my eyes, man, and I read through what women have experienced and kept silent about, some for decades because of fear, fear of being judged and blamed, and many were. And when they did tell, it was either mishandled or they weren't believed. And many were told just to forgive and forget, to get over it. And one post I read was of a woman who was forced to hug her abuser and then ask for his forgiveness. She was 11. Women all over the world are now bravely sharing their stories. Because here is another sobering hashtag that I think we don't want any part of, and it's this. Hashtag silence is not spiritual. Violence against her is violence against us. And it's not just her. It's he. It's boys and men, too. And shaming and blaming and sweeping abuse under the carpet in the wider church as a whole will fracture us from the inside out because secrets manifest. It will come out in one way or another. You know, in the Bible, David, who wrote many of the Psalms, wrote about the abuse he had experienced. And in Psalm 39, 1 through 4, he says this. He says, I will not say anything while evil people are near. So I kept quiet, not saying a word. But my suffering only grew worse, and I was overcome with anxiety. The more I thought, the more troubled I became. I could not keep from asking, Lord, how long will I live? When will I die? Tell me how soon my life will end. Notice that not only was David afraid to talk about it, his silence made it worse. And as he internalized his feelings, his fear grew into anxiety, and his silent anguish grew into thoughts of death. You see, in a silent culture where churches and even families close ranks, to protect abusers, makes the victims of abuse blame themselves. Was it something I said? Something I wore? Was it something I did? It's a common response. And hear me, if this relates to you at all, 
The answer is no. What happened to you is not your fault. What happened to you is not your fault. You see, the power of Me Too and Church Too movements is we too. There is power in breaking the silence and telling someone and realizing you are not alone. You know, American pastor Rick Warren had this, has this catchphrase, and he always says, revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. And it's so true. I mean, you don't have to tell everybody, but you need to tell somebody. It's the first step and the first of many towards healing and recovery. Now, if you are here and you can relate to any of this at all, please know that we too at BBC are here for you. And I don't say that lightly. This is a safe place for you. And the Baptist Union, which Craig, our senior pastor, is the head of, has policies and procedures in place to help you. And Eric, our church care pastor, is available to talk to you and give you names of professional counselors who are equipped and trained to help you. You are not alone, but you have to tell us what's going on. Amen? Now, many articles have been written speculating as to why the church seems to be dragging its feet in this issue. Some say that I read, um, for the greater good, that not shedding a bad light on the church or its leaders, that we shouldn't do that. And I know I'm stating the obvious, but in a silence culture, it does the exact opposite. It's like that line from the movie Spotlight. Anybody see that? That shined a light and exposed the abuse in the Catholic Church that had been going on for decades. And I remember this line, it so struck me, it said this. It takes a village to raise a child, but it takes a village to abuse one. But I think the culture is changing. Because do you know who Time Magazine Person of the Year was for 2017? It were the silence breakers of the Me Too movement. And in my research and preparing for this talk, one of the most compelling stories was a silence breaker called Rachel Den Hollander, who was the first one to blow the whistle on USA gymnastic coach Larry Nasser. She was abused by him when she was a young gymnast, and she, um, when she grew up, became a coach herself and then became a lawyer to help those who have been sexually abused because of how prevalent it is. And she pushed and pushed and pushed back darkness on a system that had closed ranks and had a huge silence culture that had silenced its victims for years and discounted numerous allegations against Larry Nasser. Rachel even lost her home church over it because people called her fanatical. She was relentless. And when she publicly came forward and pressed charges against Nassar, victim after victim came forward, hundreds of them, hundreds. And at his jury trial, over 150 or was 160 female gymnasts, day after day, and you would have might have seen it on the news, courageously read their impact statements in court. It was harrowing to watch as they read what had happened to them and the damage that had caused in their lives. And Rachel Den Hollander was the last person at Nassar's trial to read her impact speech. 
You know, I have watched several um, interviews with this girl in church. I have to tell you, she is one of the most articulate, smartest, and bravest heroines I have ever, ever come across. Now, here's just a short clip of what she said in the courtroom. The cost, emotional and physical, to see this through has been greater than many will ever know. And Larry, I don't need to tell you what the cost of your abuse has been to me because you got to read my journals, every word of them, because those had to go into evidence to make this happen. But I want you to understand why I made this choice, knowing full well what it was going to cost to get here and with very little hope of ever succeeding. I did it because it was right. No matter the cost, it was right. And the farthest I can run from what you have become is to daily choose what is right instead of what I want. You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires. A man defined by his daily choices over and over again to feed that selfishness and perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness and so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found and it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. This is what it can and does look like when a Christ follower breaks the silence on abuse. Rachel shared the gospel without condoning the abuse or discounting justice. She asked that he be sentenced to the full extent of the law, and he was. He got 175 consecutive years in prison. She, with the strength and grace that only God could give her and through her, dispensed forgiveness. 
And her journey towards this forgiveness of Nasser was years in the process, years of counseling. It didn't come overnight. You know, in the weeks to come, we will be doing a series on forgiveness and what it looks like and what it is not. It is a continued part of a, and a crucial part of this conversation that we are starting now. In an interview, Rachel was asked why she shared the gospel in court. Like, people were astounded. Like, why would you do that? And she said that during the whole horrific process, she was struck afresh at the beauty of the gospel and all that Christ had done for us, all of us. And if Christ could love and mesh forgiveness and justice to someone like Nassar, then she knew God was strong and big enough to love her fully. That's what happened, that what happened to her mattered to God. And church, how are we meant to respond to those in our congregations who are hurting or have, or have been victims of abuse? I love how the message version of Hebrews 13 verse 3 puts it, says this. It says, look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. This is how much we are meant to identify with people in pain. You see, Jesus, when he walked this earth, had so much compassion for people in pain. And the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion towards those in pain, specifically towards women. And it was radical and intentional, and he raised the value and dignity in the culture that treated women like chattel. I mean, take the woman with the issue of blood in Matthew 9, who bravely dared to touch the hem of Jesus' garment when he was walking in the midst of a massive crowd that was pressing in all around him. He stops, and he turns, and he sees her, and he says, Be encouraged, dear daughter. Your faith has healed you. And she was restored to health. Or Mary of Bethany, who Jesus calls into Bible study for her to sit at his feet like a disciple and listen to him teach. Or the encounter with the woman at the well, where Jesus proceeds to tell her everything that she has ever done, every secret she's ever had, and she was happy about it. I mean, she runs back to her village and said, hey, come and see. Come and see this guy who's told me everything I've ever done. Or the woman who crashes a dinner party and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And Jesus says to Simon the Pharisee, who's totally disgusted at the scene, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman, Simon? Look at how she loves. It's all a picture of how God deals with us. He is moved with compassion for us. This is going to be short, and it's meant to as we can gather for worship and maybe have some conversation afterwards, but if I could have the worship team come up now, please. Last week at our worship night, and who was here for that? Who was here for our worship night? Wasn't it amazing? It was fantastic, and I can't stop thinking about it. As part of the worship night, we set up stations in that part of the auditorium for you to go through and partake in. And as I walked through the stations we had set up, it felt like I was walking on holy ground. And I saw how you responded. And I was moved to tears, as you can see, <laughs> when I came across the board in the exile station. 
And here's a pic that I took on my phone, and I'm sorry for the terrible quality, but I had no idea my phone camera was so bad, but it was started like that. See, at the station, we had nails sticking out all over the board with labels on them that said things like loneliness, depression, anxiety, addiction, abuse, self-harm, suicide. We had many things on there. And you were then asked to cut a piece of yarn, tie it around the middle nail, and then wrap it around every nail slash label that you related to or had experienced. And when I saw all the yarn, and the areas that were so concentrated with lots and lots of string. I could barely talk. And when we looked at it as a team afterwards, it was with reverence and hushed tones. You see, on the other side of the board was this. Red string that represents that through all your pain, God has been with you. He's been with you. You see, we have a Savior that is moved with compassion for you, so much so that he came from heaven to earth and became one of us. And that means that every sin, every abuse that you and I have ever experienced, Jesus carried when he died on that cross for us. And I'm going to end with this quote that I heard, and I loved it so much, and it's this. It says, The crucified is the one most traumatized most grieved. He bore the Holocaust and genocides. He, was, he has carried the massacres, the starving, the crushing poverty, and debilitating illnesses. He has carried every child who has been trafficked, tortured, abused, and thrown away. He was wounded for the sins of those who have perpetrated such horrors. He has been in the darkness. He has known the loss of all things. He has been abandoned by his father. He has been to hell. There is no part of any tragedy that he has not known and carried. Don't let shame silence you. When I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, and when God created them, there's this line that says, um, they were naked and unashamed. I think it's interesting that God uses the name unashamed, uses the word unashamed. They could have been naked and unafraid. Didn't say that. Or they could have been naked and content or naked and happy, and I'm sure they were. Um, but he says they were naked and unashamed. I think which tells me that we were never made or meant to carry it. We were never meant to carry it. So don't let it be the thing that silences you here have in Christ is a shame lifter and who bore our shame on the cross. And that is something to be celebrated and to move towards. And God, my prayer tonight is for everyone here, God, that they would lean into you with everything. And whether these words can be something that they can use to help someone else, God, I pray that they would step, step into that and not be afraid to, to speak an encouraging word. And God, I pray for this church, for Bethlehem Baptist, and I pray for the wider church, that the church would be, your house would be a place of healing and restoration and redemption where new hope is born. And may we be the leaders in the charge. 
go there and to talk about it. God bless everyone here tonight. We love and we bless you. Continue the healing. Continue the conversation. In Jesus' precious name, and everybody said, amen, amen.